Welcome to another episode of the Lore Entertainment Podcast. I am Andrew Southwick, once again joined by Lore founder, executive, um, and uh, last time you were a, um, a pickleball player, this time I'm going to say you are an expert at Canasta. He is Jason Farley with us and Lore creator and a proprietor of smallmedialarge.org, smallmedialarge.org, Graham Wilson, uh, Jason and Graham, welcome to the show. Thanks for Thanks having so me. Much. Awesome. All right, we're going to get started here. Uh, first, actually, this is something that I j literally just saw seconds before we uh, we started uh, we started this episode. Did you hear that the state or Utah school districts are now banning the King James Bible for being too sexually vulgar? <laughs> uh, Graham, you're the guest, so I'm going to put you in the hot seat first. Give me your <laughs> reaction to this absolute utter nonsense. But go ahead. I am, first of all, surprised <laughs> that uh, not all Bibles have been banned already. Okay. Uh, so that's I fair. guess that's a little encouraging that, you know, it's only just now happened that uh, uh, the KJV specifically was banned. But I mean, <laughs> I didn't know there were any Bibles in, in public schools right now. So uh, that was surprising. But yeah, yeah. Ironic, to say the least. I mean, I feel like that would be like. Like Target coming out and saying that they're going to ban the sales of the Bible because it's too sexually <laughs> vulgar. You know, I mean, yeah. like, anyway, whatever. Jason, your thoughts real quick. I, I, I think they would be safe because the reading levels don't get to that level anyway. So I don't know. <laughs> wow. All like, right. Who can, who can even, who, who, who there is like, I'm spending their time reading the King yeah. James Bible anyway. Most hey, people, man. that's too high of a reading level. I'm struggling with the KJV. So it's like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm not too upset. You know, I, I read ESV or RSV. You know. <laughs> well, they, they must do with what thou wilt, I guess. All right. That's all I got. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Speaking of weird things that might be ruined, uh, topic number one for the show today, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe and superheroes. I'm wondering if MCU phases one through four, as brilliant and wonderful as they were, if they set the bar too high and superhero movies are ruined forever. That's going to be topic number one on today's show. As we go forward, we're also going to talk with Graham Wilson. We're going to learn about his upcoming documentary being distributed on Lure called Gothics, about the YouTuber Gothics. We're going to hear all about Graham, uh, what he does, and that documentary. We've got clips as well of that. And then our top five competition to wrap up the show. Another category, all three of us are competing with the top five. And uh, we want you, the lore audience, to uh, tell us who wins, who's got the best top five. And once again, you know, those of you who come from a more refined and polished cinematic oeuvre might choose mine. But if you want to go another way, there are two other opportunities, and that's just fine. I will remember to pray for you when I read those in the comments. Okay. All right. Uh, let's uh, open this up. MCU, Marvel Cinematic Universe, phases one through four. Now, I got to tell you, I'm a... I, I do like superhero movies, but I, I am kind of a homer in that I like I like the big names, um, and my favorites are actually not MCU; they're they're DC, but that doesn't matter. Um, you know, Iron Man came out and surprised everybody. Spider Man, of course, is uh, you know took the world by storm, and and uh, and you have this whole amazing universe that ends with Endgame, one of the best, uh, really one of the best movies uh, that I've ever seen, and then they come out after that, and we you know there's yes there's wokeness in it and that kind of stuff. But I'm wondering 
did phases one through four, were they so good that now they can't do it again? And, and, and sort of like I, I saw Jerry Seinfeld interviewed on uh, Howard Stern from a, a couple of years ago, and Howard Stern was asking him about a Seinfeld reboot. And, you know, Jerry Seinfeld says, well, how, how, how am I going to top that? Like, what am I going to do that's going to be better? If something were actually better, then yeah, I'd do it. But what could I do that would be better than that? It was a moment in time. It is what it is. It, it can never be... It can never be back. And the fact, well, when it comes to MCU, they killed off or, or you know, exited so many of the more popular and beloved superheroes that have well, wide cross appeal beyond the comic fan base that it's going to be hard for them to establish, I think, uh, the same kind of connection with audience audiences that they did before. Um, Graham, you're the guest. We'll, we'll start again with you. MCU faces one through four. Did they kill superhero movies forever? Why? Why not? Your thoughts. I think probably, I mean, probably not forever, but for now, I think so. I, I know that my hunger for superhero movies has been completely sated. Uh, yeah. that, and it was sated a few years ago that I haven't really had much of an interest. I, we, we watched the new Guardians of the Galaxy um, uh, with the family, and it was, uh, it was a good time. But uh, that almost doesn't even feel like a superhero movie. I mean, it's it's... It's following more human characters um, huh. that are just out in a that are raccoons. world. Yeah, raccoons. Yeah, very human. Actual um, raccoon, human raccoons. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, you know, that doesn't really feel like a superhero movie. I think generally comic book movies, the ones that might succeed are ones that aren't as fantastical, um, that are a little bit more grounded. Uh, and uh, I think Batman stuff has an opportunity to succeed, but obviously that's not even Marvel. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Winter Soldier was incredible, uh, but that almost in a certain way doesn't even feel like a superhero film. I've heard people describe it as a political thriller. Um, yeah, and that. yeah, it's great, but. Um, all the other superhero films, uh, they, they were done really well. And we've watched the beginning of that, that storyline. We saw the ending of it that felt very, uh, wonderful catharsis at the end of that, um, that series. But yeah, I have no hunger left for that. I would what? rather see some new storylines uh, that aren't in the superhero world. What changed your hunger? Was it the completion, you know, after Endgame, or was it when they when they moved on and and the and you know you have uh, you know Ant Man and Quantum Mania and and uh, what was the one oh, Thor Love and Thunder, um, and there was something in the middle of the, yeah. oh, the Doctor Strange one that came out. Right. Um, yeah. That, what what where did it jump the shark for you? Where was it like eh, no I think I'm 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 this is my stop I'm getting off for now. I think it amazes me that I enjoyed. Infinity War and I enjoyed Endgame. I think I, you know, coming up to those films, it's uh, even though they were you know, doing a pretty decent job up to that point uh, with all of these other stories, that there was always this like assumption that like ah they're gonna blow this you know sort of thing, and we got to the end of it and it felt good and that was amazing to me in of itself. But yeah, I mean you couldn't you definitely could not expect them to carry on any kind of new storyline after that that felt so ultimate. Hmm. It was so ultimate and they should have ended there. The yeah. end, end game. They should have ended there because yeah, they're they're trying to um it, I'm guessing, I don't know this for for a fact, but Kevin is it Kevin Feige? 
uh, who is the sort of the mind behind yeah. the whole um, MCU. Um, I would guess that he had some kind of complete through line idea in his mind um, pretty early on in the MCU up to Endgame. And once that's reached and you're like, okay, well, you know, this is still making a ton of money. So I guess we got to add another storyline. You feel that you feel the laziness. There's so much laziness in uh, the writing after that. Hmm. Um, and it seems to be being given into the, given into the hands of uh, people who didn't have the same love and care from the uh, original foundation of it, uh, that they're just hired on to add something else and, not to say it wouldn't be incredibly difficult to add something on the end of Endgame um, or after Endgame that felt good, that felt original, that felt genuine, that felt, you know, I don't know, not Quantumania. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's weird. And, and Jason, I want to get to you right, right now. But we, you, as you were talking, Graham, it kind of reminded me, again, going back to Seinfeld, it's sort of like if Seinfeld was MCU phases one through four, and um, and they were then going on to whatever the last half of phase four, or wherever they are, phase five, six. I have no idea. But it's like they kind of took like Jay Peterman. Remember Elaine's last boss from the show? It's like they took Jay Peterman and made a movie about him. And Jay Peterman works, but he works in the universe with with Elaine and the rest of the knuckleheads. Yeah. He doesn't really work on his own. And I'm kind of seeing that happen with the, the other characters that, yeah, they're superheroes, mm -hmm. but they don't they don't quite work unless they're connected to, you know, to, to the big ones. I don't know. Am I, am I crazy for seeing that? Jason, let me, let me go to you on that one. And then let me get your, I mean, uh, go ahead. I think, I think what made the first four phases so special was that all of the movies minus Miss Marvel worked on their own. Uh, and so when they, when you finally pull them all together with the last two, well, it started with Avengers where you start pulling them together and then you yep. get separate storylines and pull them together. That, uh, um, that what now seems like it's happening is they're trying to say, okay, here's the end in mind of pulling them all together. How do we get there rather than how do we build this story, this movie, this character? Um, and it, so it doesn't, it, it feels like, oh, you have to know something outside the movie for this movie to work. Um, and it never felt like that with any of the original ones um, or we, we, I mean, not the, with the original phase one, two, three, four. I mean, I've been following Marvel movies since Howard the Duck. So um, <laughs> I, I was really excited to start to see Marvel Studios kind of build up to some of the central characters. Um, mm -hmm. The and I love comic books. And one of the things is the interconnectedness. But the writers of comic books understand that you have your goal is, you know, is to sell. You, is to sell one comic, you know, like yeah. you sell this comic. This is all you're trying to sell. This story is all that matters because this is all you hold in your hands. And as soon as you get away from that, um, you, you get quantum mania. <laughs> <laughs> Jason coming out and really like showing, validating, justifying, you know, how 
legit he is pulls the comic book from behind him <laughs> i know true. what i'm talking about i'm jason i'm, I'm so, intimidated because your bookshelf back there's a lot of books and like i look at mine and there are not books um i have a couple but i have like a wooden carve out of my name which is okay i have a fake microphone i have a delorean behind my head um and a trophy from when i oh, that, that's pretty awesome from when i was last place in baseball um that's <laughs> and you have all these books and comics and everything and oh man whatever <laughs> my, but but Learned my take man. is i i don't i don't think marvel is going to rescue the the comic book movie i hope dark horse jumps in um and you get something uh, you you get some of the alternate just different you know i i want a swamp thing reboot honestly i would love a swamp thing movie that'd be Axe amazing Cop. <laughs> yes, <laughs> an axe axe cop would be incredible. Yeah, an axe cop movie. Um, the Resident Alien TV show is really good. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a comic book TV show that's killing it right now. Um, I but uh, the the I don't think I think we need the same way that comics grew really really huge, and then all of the really good um, kind of things that came along and rescued the comics came from out the the smaller companies that were inspired by the major uh, by DC and Marvel. Um, I think that's, I think that's what I'm hoping for is we start getting some, you know, I, I'm, I, I'm hoping the blade one blade is one of my favorite mm. comic book characters. I'd love to see that one go forward. Uh, the first blade movie was almost perfect outside of the fact that they start out by saying, Hey, some of the original mythology doesn't isn't doesn't work here in this movie. I was like, well, that's lame. But other than that, everything else, Wesley Snipes was amazing. Um, it was just as violent as it should be, and you know, and all of that. You had lots of dead vampires by the end, which is what every that's what you want in a vampire is a dead vampire. Is a good one, Graham. Do you think that uh, superhero movies will come back around? I mean, I know like DC right now is trying hard, and they're rebooting their whole thing that they had started, and that had a bunch of mixed reviews. And I, I mean, and I mm-hmm. like I said, I'm more in terms of comic characters, I'm more of a DC than a Marvel. But um, like, I I don't like. I'm sorry. I know this is going to be a and people aren't going to like it, but I'm not a fan of Robert Pattinson as the Batman because <laughs> you Batman needs to weigh more than seventy pounds. Okay. Okay, I'm sorry. Like I don't. This is. This, if I go ahead, he makes a great post post AIDS Batman. Like, yeah, like he's, oh. he's recovering from a from a terrible malady, and and it, I mean I like I feel like I could throw a pen at him and and and, and mortally wound him. Over. I don't I don't feel safe with yes. that kind of Batman. But um, anyway, I, like I would rather have Michael Keaton <laughs> at 107 years old defending me. But anyway. <laughs> Um, or, you know, or Superman, they've gone back and forth. I actually like Superman Returns with Brendan Routh. I thought that was like, wow. sort of, I know, right? See, I have terrible taste, but I'm, <laughs> I'm comfortable with who I am. So, well, that's it for me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I like, because it was, it was an homage to Christopher Reeve. I get it. Nobody liked it, whatever. Um, but, uh, do, do <laughs> Do superhero movies. As long as you didn't like Man of Steel, you're okay. What's, I, well, it was better than Man of Steel. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I'm not. Don't even get me started because I'll probably alienate you guys too. All right, um, Graham, you first. Are we just on a low ebb in superheroes? Are they going to be able to come back around? And do you think you know, like with DC, they still haven't figured out what the heck they're doing with any of these characters? So there's still a lot of unmined territory for the Supermans, Batmans, and Aquamans of the world, and Wonder Womans, and whatever. Um, 
predict right now superhero movies come back or not um i think they're going to be around for a while i don't know i i i'm not 100 percent sure on what their box office returns are uh but i generally get the impression that they're still enough to keep on making them um so they're not gone yet uh but i hope they leave soon uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm sort of, you know? I would love to see that amount of money put into other projects and for us to take a break for a decade or more, uh, before coming back to, to superhero films. That's, mm. that's my hope, but I don't think they're gone yet. I think we still have, I know they're not gone yet. We have, you know, a slate of superhero films that are, that are going to be coming out. So my, my hope is that they, they quit it, uh, because I, yeah, again, I would love to see that amount of money, that kind of money put into projects that feel at least a little bit fresh and then come back to superhero films somewhere down the line um, with a new refreshed uh, sense of perspective on how to approach one. Gotcha. So you would be, you'd be a fan for getting back to some stories. Let's have another like early nineties Renaissance with uh, mm-hmm. like Shawshank Redemption and yes. Pulp Fiction and Forrest Gump. Fight let's, Club. Fight Club. Yeah. Let, let's get that back again. And then the, and that means that probably the next actor who plays Batman is not born. Um, and then yeah. when, when he is born and has grown up, then reboot it and we've got our taste back for it. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Do that for me. Right. Hollywood. <laughs> And Graham has pull, so listen to him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> all right, Jason, what do you think? Prediction: Super Mary, superhero movies coming back or not? I I think that the uh, the market has been flooded, and so we're not going to see the same sort of. Um, I I I think that this the Spider Man multiverse is um, is the the end cap on what we've seen in terms of major huge. Um, movies going forward. I think they'll always be in that summer blockbuster um, realm, but uh, they're not. You're, we're not going to see another Endgame um, for for a long time, 20, 30 years. I just thought I'd take a second to get down to the real reason we're here. How many of you guys are virgins? I am Todd Bishop, or Father Bishop, as the inmates used to call me. Police coming straight from the underground. Used to be on staff at a big church before they let me go for reasons I'd rather not talk about right now. Brad Ambells, senior associate pastor at the First Greater Church of Mega Christ. <laughs> we have the largest jumbotron in church history, four-star steakhouse, ice rink, our own line of women's fragrances. This one's called Homemaker. Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. God loves everyone. So it turns out the streamers are letting us all down. One has committed itself to destroying Grandma's terms of endearment for her grandbabies. Sorry, Grams. You can't call them cuties anymore. The other has decided that you can't have dragons unless you order them in a brown paper sleeve, so the mailman doesn't have to be wantonly subjected to the TNA of the Seven Kingdoms. 
You could go to the Christian streaming services where you can put on your ruby slippers and repeat to yourself over and over, but at least it's clean, but at least it's clean. Apparently, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, is also horribly executed. But does it have to be that way? Can a high standard for storytelling exist with a moral backbone and a complete set of clothes for every actor and actress? That is what Lure is about. Quality entertainment for people not interested in seeing strangers naked. Of course, if you are just looking for your fix of and dragons, go to another streaming service, you perv. Be a part of the lore. Click the link below. Topic two is all about Graham Wilson, proprietor with, um, you got a couple of partners there over at smallmedialarge.org, smallmedialarge.org. We'll make sure that's up on the screen. Everybody can check it out. But Graham Wilson, uh, we want to get to you. You are the guest of the, of the, of the hour of the week. First, give us um, some, uh, if you, I'm talking to, why am I talking to the table? Tell us a little <laughs> bit. <laughs> More. They, you see, Lure.tv is so good that they get hosts for their podcast that don't even know what room they're in. Okay. <laughs> You're doing great. Um, so, Graham, tell us a little bit about uh, yourself, uh, you as a filmmaker, how you got connected with Small Media Large, and then we want to get into uh, your documentary about the YouTuber Gothics. Yeah. Um, so, Small Media Large, that's, yeah, I'm, thank you for pronouncing that so clearly, uh, because... I have to think very, very clearly about that whenever I'm speaking to someone about the company. Small, media, large. Yes. Very punny. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, my business partners, Tom, Thomas and Dan Barry, um, they're over on the East Coast, are uh, actually my cousins-in-law. And they, uh, they started Small Media Large in 2015. And when I had decided that I was going to pursue filmmaking um, and media production full time, um, that was 2017, uh, I was struggling to come up with a name for the <laughs> the agency uh, that wasn't already taken uh, and or that just you know felt right, uh, which is not a great sign uh, for somebody who's <laughs> going to go into the creative uh, the the creative field when you're struggling to come up with a name. Um, but, uh, my dad had recommended like, Hey, how, you know, have you thought about asking, uh, if you could join Thomas, uh, and his, his company and his company's name was small media large. And uh, I was like, that's probably the best name that, uh, I I've ever heard for a, a, pr a production company. So I, uh, called him the day after that. And he said, uh, I, I just asked him if, uh, he'd be interested in having me join the, the company and immediately he was very very excited about that so um that's that's how i joined small media large i'm a co-owner now um and what, uh what kind of work what kind of uh, productions does small media large do and i gotta say this as you were talking about small media large because when i first saw that uh in your information and and went and checked it out smallmedialarge.org i was interpreting the title meaning you take small media and you make it large but now yeah. i realize it's small, medium, large, small, medium, yes. like, <laughs> like clothes and see, and I'm late yeah. to the party on all these kinds of things. Cause you know, K jewelers, have you heard of K jewelers and their yeah. slogan is every kiss begins with K, but see yeah. the word kiss begins with K and K jewelers, K A Y every kiss begins with K. I just put that together um, a couple of years ago and told my wife and she's like, you absolute first class moron. <laughs> 
Um, of course, that's hey, what we're they here meant. for you, man. <laughs> so small, media, large. About puns. I get it now. Now, so it's it is. That's very punny. <laughs> it took me a second as you were talking, but once I figured it out, it was all I can think about. So, all right. So, <laughs> tell us a little bit about what uh, what you the productions you're you're doing at Small Media Large, and that will probably get us right into uh, Gothics. And Jason, if you've got something, please interject. I don't want to. Uh, I want to make sure if you've got will. stuff lined up, go ahead. All right. What does yeah, Small so Media we, Large do? We are a sort of a, a broad overall creative agency we offer uh all sorts of services uh in the creative field um but my particular focus for the agency is film and uh, i've put most of my time into doing music videos and mini documentary type work i've done some commercial work for larger uh corporations and businesses but uh, the majority of the work that I focus on is things like music videos and, and mini documentaries. And um, that's what I was primarily doing before the Gothics documentary. Um, my business partners will do, you know, event videography and photography. And um, uh, Thomas does uh, music production, uh, things like that. And he's getting into that. So we're trying to offer a lot of different things. But my my focus for the most part is uh is the film side of things okay and what what are what are some projects you guys have uh completed to this point some things you worked on that maybe you that stand out to you stuff that makes your highlight real yeah um i think that my favorite music video that i've done uh was uh my personal favorite is probably it's it's tied it it's either a music video for an artist named Schmorgel. Uh, yes, it's a ridiculous didn't, didn't, name. Didn't he steal the one <laughs> ring and have it for? Yeah, yeah, he still got it. Okay, he still got it. Yeah. Um, how do you spell that? I want to find it. How, how do you spell Schmorgel? Uh, we'll think. You know, we all know the word Morgel, uh, and just add Schm at the you know uh, at the beginning of it. All right, I better uh, not search this on YouTube and find something to so get me in trouble. All yeah, right. S it's S C H M O R G L E. Schmorgel. Schmorgel. His right. actual name is Alexander Morgan. Um, right and uh, his funny story behind that whole situation was that uh, he uh, he had made music under the, the name, just his regular name, Alexander Morgan. And uh, he, it didn't really take off anywhere. Just, you know, uh, s small recognition. He started a YouTube channel and he named it Schmorgel because it, like his close friends called him Schmorgel. And <laughs> Uh, his first thing that he made that took off, took off on that channel. Hmm. And uh, whether he liked it or not, he was now stuck with that name. <laughs> that was Schmorgel. Uh, that makes yeah. sense. That makes sense. All right. <laughs> but I did it a does. music video for him called Hasty. And uh, in regards to cinematography and uh, editing, um, that that's a top favorite of mine that I've done. Um, but uh, I think the one that I get, I get uh, the most compliments about is uh, a music video for the artist Blue, B-L-E-U. Um, it is for the music video, um, for, the, for the song, I Want to Write You a Symphony. And uh, that is generally when people talk to me, the, the project that stands out to them. Um, it's uh, conceptually a character goes into a record store uh, to get inspiration for writing a song and uh, as he's pulling out records to look at them, they have 
the lyrics of the song that's currently playing um, on them. And so we had to create completely original uh, cover art for mm. records for the whole song to fill out the, all the lyrics. And uh, that was incredibly time consuming because <laughs> we wanted these 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 uh album covers to look as legit as possible and uh it it, it took a lot of time but it uh, overall like that that project came out really well and uh i've had a few people tell me that that is their favorite music video of all time That's um, excellent I don't think they know what they're talking about, but you know, I'll take the compliment. <laughs> right on. <laughs> That's excellent. All right, let's move to uh, Gothics, your current documentary that uh, took a couple of years to put together. For those who might not be familiar with uh, the YouTuber Gothics, uh, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about who Gothics is, how you connected uh, with her, and uh, what about got the Gothics story inspired you to uh, to make this film? Yeah, um, we had a corporate commercial uh, gig uh, beginning of 2021, and um, it was the biggest client that we'd had um, in small, media largest history, and um, was really looking forward to doing it. And uh, this whole the way that it worked was that uh, we didn't even have to film anything. They were, they filmed everything themselves and they were sending us the footage to edit it hmm. like one week of editing and uh, looking great. And they sent us the footage and uh, I'm looking through it and a bunch of different interviews with people. And uh, I come across this one interview with a, uh, with a trans person and <clears throat> immediately like a little concerned and uh i had sort of resolved in my mind before we had started this gig that something like this could happen and i thought okay so long as they're if i encounter this so long as they're just talking about the product and you know why they like the product um i can do it uh so long as it's not being made political but of course it's not that it's uh, a trans person talking about how they use the genderless version of the product um, because it makes them feel sexier. Hmm. And uh, I was like, oh, shoot. <laughs> I can't do that. Um, and I knew I had to write them an email. So I wrote them an email and said, hey, I'm happy to do all the other videos. I can't do that one. I um, I understand if that disqualifies us from everything else, but I can't do that. And uh, so I got a phone call about five minutes after I sent off that email. Um, and uh, very livid. Uh, and after a long series of them telling me, just do it. Like, it doesn't matter if it disagrees with your, uh, with your values, just do it. Um, we lost the job because I said I, I couldn't. And... After we lost that contract, I felt that like I need the next thing I do needs to be something that matters. And um, I had discovered Gothics and her YouTube videos like two weeks before that happened. And she was, she, those videos like immediately just blew me away. And I was now free <laughs> to do, to go pursue something else. Um, and, uh, so I started messaging her, um, 
uh, it took me about a week to get in touch with her, but uh, she had told me later that she'd been seeing my my messages and my emails, and was like, "Who the who the hell is this guy? <laughs> some, some some cracker from Idaho is trying to <laughs> make a documentary about me." Um, and uh, but eventually, I had uh, put a comment, uh, sent a comment on her chat on YouTube. And, uh, she read it live and I just said, Hey, I'm a filmmaker. Um, I would love to make a story. I would love to make a documentary about your story. Mm-hmm. And, um, she, uh, gave me her email, uh, yeah, her actual email. And, uh, I sent her a proposal. And a few days after that, she was like, okay, let's do this. And, um, the rest is, the rest is history. Hmm. How did you connect with lure then because you brought this um and according to at least what's what is uh uh the trailer which we will we'll look at here on the on the episode yeah. as well um this is this is two years in the making of, of filming the, the documentary um and then at somewhere in there you're connecting with lore and that's you know part of how the funds will be raised to uh to you know to to, to pay for the film but the, yeah. the the film is there the story is there uh, you got to distribute it. You want to connect it. How did you connect with Lore, and why do you think that Lore is the best, you know, place to start for uh, for this story? Yeah, so uh, we connected because of cigars. Uh, cigars are the the uh, the the thing that we can give credit to. Um, yeah. So my uh, my father uh, owns a, he he runs a a boarding house, and in that boarding house, you can smoke cigars indoors. Uh, which is, you know, not exactly a very common thing. Yeah, it's the last, and, um, last, the last real rebel in America. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> liberals hate him. Um, <laughs> so uh, <laughs> they don't. They like him. Uh, but uh, he's a likable guy. He's a likable guy. Uh, yeah. But Marcus Pittman, one of the other uh, co-owner of of Lure wanted somewhere indoors to smoke during the winter because it's flipping cold in Idaho <laughs> during the winter. And uh, he had been recommended to go over to uh, my parents' boarding house to go uh, smoke a cigar. And in, in doing that, my dad had told him like that uh, uh, I was making this documentary. And so Marcus didn't know that I was making this documentary. We had connected in the past, um, but uh, he had no idea. So he reached out and then we started talking and then I sent the current cut of the documentary to Jason. And um, Jason, you had things to say about it. Yeah, and I watched it and, and well, I watched it and then grabbed my uh, 18-year-old daughter and said, will you watch this and tell me what you think because i watched it and thought this is really good and really a really important story that teenagers are going to in particular are going to connect with really really well in important ways and she sat and watched it and closed the laptop and said dad every teenager in the country needs to see this can you go get this movie and make sure it has distribution (laughs) so i called Graham back and i was like hey i thought it was amazing my daughter thought it was amazing and it's really, really well shot. It's well edited. It's beautiful. And then the story's so moving. And then he kind of filled me in on some of the things that weren't yet in the documentary mm-hmm. as yep. well that still needed to be edited in. Yep. And um, and he was 
super wary because we hadn't launched yet. Yeah. He was like, but I think I can probably make more money some other place. <laughs> <laughs> so Graham, how, how did they, I, did I, re- did I read that right? Did I read? Oh yeah, I absolutely. Read that? Yeah, absolutely. Oh yeah. Okay. So how, how did they, con- how did they convince you then come, come here to an unproven platform that has no, nothing up front for you and it's not even distributed yet, but this is where uh, you need to, you need to have this, this story. Um, well, I mean, I, I listen, uh, and the, what Jason and Marcus have been trying to do with lure is something that I have been, um, I've been complaining about since probably I was 13 that, that Christian art is just not very good. Uh, uh, at least modern Christian art is just not very good. And it's just been upsetting to me for a long time. Um, and that here are these two guys that are actually going out and trying to do something about it. Um, and I, I want to see this thing succeed because it's something that, that has just upset me for a long time. Um, and, uh, if, if I'm going to be more concerned about going to a platform where I'm going to get, um, uh, maximum, you know, amount of return on, on this thing, on a story that more than anything just matters to me that it gets out there. Um, I sort of resolved pretty early that if we never found a distributor for this, that we were just going to release it and, um, free for the world. And we were just going to take a massive loss on it. But I, I, that matters way more to me. Um, and so in this particular case, I wanted, um, after they had the opportunity to, to, to pitch the, the whole platform to me, um, and we're basically able to tell me about how we were going to make it work with a project that was basically already done. Um, we've had this project close to being finished for like a year, maybe more. Um, now there's always like tightening up and like, you know, there's always another detail that you can do before it's actually finished. Um, and the things you don't realize that like, ah, I didn't know that had to be, had to be done too. Um, it's, there's always something else, but, yeah, Jason and Marcus, they just did a good job at uh, pitching the the mission of Lore to me and then telling me about how their system was actually going to be tenable with uh, the nature of the documentary. Um, and so here we are. We're doing it. And I, <laughs> I'm yeah. stoked about it. Here we are. Jason, uh, I've, you you got to jump in here because I know that you watch it with your daughter. Like you said, you thought it was great. Yeah. Um, well, what, what are some things you're looking forward to with, with this, uh, with Gothic's? on the platform as Lure now is launched for real. Yeah. I mean, h- historically Christians have, we produce, we, we have Chaucer, Bach, Shakespeare. Um, we've got the, he, in the modern world, we've got, um, you know, ghost stories like the rhyme of the ancient Mariner. We've got the zombie was created by Christians. We've got right. The, the, and every art form at some point, Christians get a hold of it and they show you, what it can be, right? What the possibilities are. And uh, what I like about Gothics is it, it is what you might think of as like a, um, a, a microbiography where it takes a short period of a person's life until, and, and focuses in on, um, on that. And, and I think 
gothics that the documentary actually pushes the medium forward you don't see christians working in microbiography very well you see you know you see biographies you see some of that but but um what graham has done is show how powerful focusing in on just a handful of months in a person's life can really be i mean what is it about a year a little less than a year that the that the whole story takes place or i mean yeah it's uh uh, I mean, we 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 go back and tell like that story of how she got popular on Twitch before, but like the crisis is July of 2019. Um, to uh, I mean, the crisis is basically done a year later. Um, yeah, sort of, sort of. I mean, it's like sort of an yeah, ongoing I mean, crisis of it uh, is, and you and you do a good job of saying like of just focusing in and saying this, this year of this one person's life is seems like it should be a small story, but mm -hmm. showing how it's simultaneously universal, it's moving and um, how much, how, how much empathy um, at that. Um, I mean, I, I like when I fly over Dallas or something and you see, and you, you realize every single one of those houses Every single one of those cars represents a full story that yeah. is tragedy, comedy, you know, everything. And and how um, as Christians um, that there's something important and universal about everybody's story. Right. Well, and Graham does <laughs> right, does such a good job of focusing in on the, the single year of a bigger, broader story and showing how there's some important facts that lead up to it. There's and there's a ripple effect that we don't even know where it goes yet at the end of the doc because you know gothics her life is still is still going but that that microbiography is such an um, a powerful storytelling device that Christians haven't jumped in and said hey let's move this forward until um, until Graham I think Graham is pushing Jeez, that genre forward. Um, and so that's what got me excited right about it. <laughs> well, that's what I was, why I was excited about it is, um, is, you know, we have people come along and they're like, we want to do Spurgeon's biography, right? That's a worthy, I would watch that. That's important. We, you know, we, we want to, or we want to tell the, you know, this, this era of church history or the, but, but, but the microbiography is so powerful of, um, uh, of a, uh, a art form of a genre um, and so it got me excited to see Graham pushing it to its edges um, and then uh, and then getting to hear some of the ripple effects of what of Graham's relationships of how he how he lives on set as an artist, um, as a Christian artist, how that also has um, he ended up having ripple effects I mean eternal ripple effects, I would say, um, in the lives of. Vanessa and Saul, Vanessa is uh, gothics mm -hmm. in, the, in their lives as well. Um, so you pull those two things together and it got me really excited about the doc besides it just being beautiful. And my kids, you know, basically saying like, as soon as this comes out, we're having all the, all yeah. our friends over, we're going to watch it. They need to see this too. You know, that kind of thing gets me excited as well. My heart, Jason, my heart is just, <laughs> overflowing right now he's saying so many nice things <laughs> well you're so good you're good at what you do man you Thanks. put the work in and you're good at what you do so i and i, I love seeing i mean i i get so excited by good art and there's so because it's in there's I, I watch so many screeners 
and there's very few that get me excited. <laughs> so when Gothics drops in and I started, I'm like, because <gasps> I want everything to, I want every single one to be good, right? I go in yeah. wanting yeah. everything to be, and they're not. But that's how you get, I mean, you get better by making stuff and making stuff and making stuff. And Graham's put in the work as a filmmaker um, and you can see uh, the work he's put in as it comes out in this story. I made a lot of stuff that sucks first. (laughs) (laughs) You're talking about, you're talking about Christian filmmaking. You're talking about the microbiography and my mind instantly just goes to scripture itself and how many stories Mm -hmm. in scripture that God put in there that are microbiographies, that are exactly the kind mm-hmm. of storytelling that you're talking about. Um, yeah. And so it's actually, while, while Christian filmmakers haven't delved into that, it's actually one of the primary ways that God chose to reveal his truth to the world was through the microbiography, through this compressed moment in time in, in this person's life or this this group's life or this family's life um, and, the, and the difference that that makes. So um, I'm not sure... I guess I'm not really saying, Graham, that you could write a book of the Bible because you can't. But um, <laughs> and I don't want to get too close to because that of that whole last verse that because tells the us. Whole, that it's yeah, cool. the whole thing yeah. where he says we're not supposed to add anything to it. So, like, I don't want to make that mistake, like Peter did. Did you see? Did you see Peter rewrote Genesis and put it on Amazon? No. Oh my gosh, I got to bring that up in a show. It is a farce. But anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it has eight. I'm no. Don't get off track. Okay, it's it's my AD. It's my ADHD that they diagnose everybody with. But anyway, um, no. It's a, it's a, it's a type of storytelling that um, that I think is actually native to to God and to Christ and to His people. And it's uh, it is exciting to see that come to a fruition here. Graham, I want to give you because we got to get to our top five competition here in just a second, and it's a good one today. I even wore a special shirt just in honor of our category. I saw that. You get it? Yeah. It says it, it, you can't see it now because I'm not setting up, but it's but it's it's got Marty. Whatever happens, and the underneath it says do not go to 2020. But that's you know we're we're past that now. <laughs> so that's really what it says. But anyway, um, uh, I want to give a give us a last minute pitch here. You know we got people going to be uh, signing up and subscribing to Lore.TV to see Gothics uh, by Graham Wilson and the Small Media Large company. Did you like all those pitches I just put in right there? All those plugs. I mean, isn't that something? That's professional, right there. That's professional. <laughs> um, what? Uh, but but give give the viewers a pitch. Why should uh, we be putting our loot uh, into this? Not at the expense of something else. But this is an important story to be told. Give us that pitch. Put your loot into Gothics. Let's see this film go. I made this documentary from the beginning um, in hopes that people who were on the other side politically would be able to see it and have their minds changed uh that again like i had already mentioned if we didn't make money on it that wasn't why i was doing it we we walked away from a contract that was more money than we'd ever made for our company um it's it's not about that but money still does make things move and that is uh why we need this funded we need it funded because we put money into it that we really do need to get back to uh, to pay debts. Mm-hmm. And um, but in doing that, we're going to be putting a story out there that is uh, Lord willing, going to change minds and show people what the nature of uh, what the nature of the left, 
has done and continues to do to real people and how much it messes them up and how perverted uh, many of the values that they hold have become. And, um, and not because I despise them, not because I hate them, but because I love them, that we want this story to be told. Um, many Christians and conservatives are going to align with this sooner um, or, or pretty, hopefully immediately. <laughs> but there might be some minds changed even, even on that side towards a positive, uh, a positive end. Uh, but by supporting this documentary, there is a hope that somewhere down the line, it is going to get in front of somebody who doesn't agree with it and will have their mind and their world changed. We've already watched Vanessa's that's gothics. We've already watched gothics and her world change and her husband's world change and many other people's worlds change because of what's happened in her. Hmm. Um, She's received comments and emails from people just uh, letting her know that they have now found Jesus Christ mm. because of uh, the change that happened in her. And that's the story that we wanted to tell here. And that's the story that's been told. We think it's very important that it gets out there. So please help us get this thing funded. It, it, it matters. <laughs> it matters so much. So that's that's my pitch. Can't think of a better way to wrap up this segment. Uh, what we're going to do right now, uh, we're going to play the trailer for Gothic. You can check that out, see what the buzz, what the story is all about. And then we're going to come back and we've got our top five competition. All three of us today have brought a top five. You don't want to miss it. Uh, let's check out the trailer. We'll come right back. There is no redemption. There is no conversation. It is... Whatever we say about you is truth, and you're done. One friend did it with us. He heard our side of the story, and he was just like, oh, wow, this is completely understandable. I see where you guys are coming from. Then he writes us later on. We weren't the right type of black friend. I, breaks on this. I, just, wow. I don't know how much out of this time I need at right, right now. I need to clear my head. I haven't been feeling myself. myself. I think it's time for me to take a break break. Like I just feel like I'm kind of floating without any purpose right now. They brought up my boyfriend. They wanted to know if he was white because if he was, that would have made sense to them of why I was acting like this. Seeing people automatically say, okay, the reason you have a problem with this is because you're racist is, is an issue for me. I said, we need to stop doing this. I'm talking in a matter of 24 hours, I became Over the course of four days, I had more racism towards me from other people that looked like me than in my entire existence on this planet. What's the next step once they realize I can't, you know, attack someone on social media and make them disappear, so what do we gotta do now? Is physical assault okay? And I just see like these pools of blood and I'm like, Okay, I'm panicking now. 
All right, it's time once again for our top five competition. Jason, Graham, Wilson, and and yours truly all competing for really the um, affirmation of you, our lure audience, the viewers. Uh, we want to know whose top five is the best. And today, this is a controversial top five. I'm not going to lie to you, because some things in entertainment, some things, some works of art are so perfect or are so close to perfect that you wouldn't want to touch them. And one of those close to perfect things is the movie Back to the Future. And so what we're going to do right now is a top five. Who are the top five actors that you would cast if you had to cast for a Back to the Future reboot? We hear all the time, oh, Back to the Future 4 and this, that, and the other, and there's rumors and, and all kinds of things. And you know, at some point, at some point, it is going to be remade because there's going to be more money to, to mine out of that. Uh, but, but you know, is it going to ruin the legacy? Is it going to be, uh, you know, a... Um, a uh, a con or, well, I'm not looking for controversy. Um, a polarizing effect like the Last Jedi was in the in the sequels to Star Wars. What's it going to be? Well, if we had an opportunity to reach into time and try to stop that bus from hitting the brick wall and cast this movie perfectly, who would we cast? So here is um, the top five Back to the Future reboot cast. Jason, you've been quiet. I'm going to go to you first. Who is your Back to the Future cast? Well, this is hard because I, I wasn't sure if I should go with a top five that was here's who I would cast in the uh, each of the five, top five roles, mm -hmm. or if I should just say here are the top five people I would like to see um, in it. And um, the hardest one was Marty. So I'm going to save him for last. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for Doc, I would put either... Uh, Donald Glover or Tracy Morgan. I think both of them would be really, really funny. You're going an interesting way with this, I'm going, with this I, reboot here. I am, right? Because can't, you can't try to compare it. You've got to make it completely different, in my mind. All right. Um, for Lorraine, Anna Taylor-Joy from The Queen's Gambit. Wow. She would play the, the mom, I think, really well because huh. she's so good at awkward. And I think that was the original Lorraine. Ben Schwartz. George. Oh, that's a dad. good call. I got to uh, admit, I'm competing, but that's a good call. <laughs> and then for Biff, um, either Joe Sayo, who was the, he's the, uh, uh, one of the bullies in uh, Cobra Kai. He, uh, in the later episodes, the Asian guy, he's really mm. great bully. Um, or Shamik Moore, who played uh, Shaolin Fantastic in the Get Down. He was, uh, so, um, and then for Marty, this, it was so hard. Um, I I think um, either Justice Smith or um, Skylar uh, Gisotto, who played the young Sean in uh, in Psych. Um, oh, okay, yeah, he was. Yeah, so. But that was the hardest one. Now that's Justice a different. Smith that's so a charming. different young Sean because originally it was uh, Liam James. On, yeah, on he, well, I was thinking of Liam James also mm -hmm. from the way because he was so good in the way way back too. Yeah, but I don't know if he's athletic enough. That was so I went with the other young Sean. Well, maybe he'll be kind enough to send you an, an email here about how you besmirched his athletic <laughs> prowess. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> I hope so. You were great in the way way back if you're listening to this. And if you're if you're actually athletic and that dance scene was you 
actually pretending to not be athletic when you are, I'm doubly impressed. <laughs> All right. So, Graham, here's what I'm going to do. I want to give you the benefit of what's called recency bias, okay? And even the Bible talks about this. Whoever you hear last, <laughs> you usually believe, right? So, I'm going to go here, right, yeah. and you're going to get the last word on this, and that's going to give okay. you the recency right. bias advantage to all our lure audience and subscribers. Okay, here's mine. Now, I actually have seven because I could go a couple different ways with the casting on a couple of these characters. I'm going to start with Jennifer Parker. And now it's interesting, you, you picked Anna Taylor-Joy for Lorraine. I have her as Jennifer. I think she could do a good, like, sweet girlfriend character. And, uh, and so that could be good. Or it could also be, no, I'm going to save my other one. That one I've got an alternate cast, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put hold on that for a little bit. So I think that Anna Taylor-Joy would be good because she, she can have a wholesome look and that kind of thing for Jennifer. Although I guess now, when would the time setting be? It would have to be about the time, they'd be going back to Back to the Future in 85 from this point, you know, roughly. So, all right. Uh, yep, that was, how I, that was how I saw it. Yeah. It's the present and they're going back to the 80s. Yeah, something to that effect or really now. Okay. Um, Lorraine McFly, Lorraine McFly, I chose um, Aubrey Plaza because she's, she's weird enough, but, mm. she, but, but her look, she can go through different decades and look like she belongs, yeah. you know? You're um, totally right. And she's old enough to be aged just enough to be a mom in all those eras. And when you see who I have for Marty, you'll, you'll understand this too. Now for George McFly, gosh, I love the Ben Schwartz idea. Plus that would be a Parks and Rec reunion. But <laughs> um, I went with Matthew Gray Gubler, uh, Criminal Minds. And uh, you, don't see, you don't see him a lot, but I could see him as George and a good one because he can be kind of geeky and awkward, but also be but also be modern and can work through different uh, eras of time. Biff, I like my Biff. I, I'm going, and it's now it's, I, because I think you can still play the, the age and the ages, but I went with Channing Tatum because I can see Channing Tatum <laughs> being an absolute uh, prick all the time, but looking, yeah, trying totally. to look smooth. Can't you see that? That is Biff. Oh that yeah, Biff. that's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty good. Now Doc Brown, this is where you can make the movie one way or you can make the movie another way. And the casting of Doc Brown in my version is the, it's the crossroads, okay? The fork in the road, if you will. On the one hand, if you want to make a movie that's like, that is going to be true and respectful to the genre of Back to the Future, the, the aura, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I say Paul Giamatti. Because he is one of the oh, he's one of the best character actors. Go ahead. He's my favorite actor of all time. Really? He's my yeah. I mean, you can see him doing Doc Brown, and it wouldn't be a Christopher Lloyd impression, but it would be. You're there, right. But there would be it would be like his cousin. You know what I mean? Like three times removed or something to that yeah. effect, where it would be just enough of. Uh, Strakowski, uh, which was Lloyd's Christopher Lloyd's uh, muse for Doc Brown, there'd be just enough of that ex eccentricity in Paul Giamatti, but he would be his own. So I think Paul Giamatti, if you want to make Back to the Future for real, he's Doc. Or you go another way, and you put Kevin Hart in that role, and he's just a bumbling. <laughs> he's a bumbling scientist who accidentally, you know, does all this kind of thing. And then he just gives you all these little wisecracks and comments throughout the movie. Yeah. But that's a whole different movie now that you're talking about that. It you're is. Gonna, you're going to say something though, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that I, I considered Kevin Hart and then thought, 
it's he, he couldn't I couldn't take him seriously as a real scientist. But the way you put it, like he bumbled his way into it that I can. Whereas like Donald Glover, I could I could take him seriously as a real scientist. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you can't. You, you can't think in terms of replacing Christopher Lloyd. Yeah. You, it's that's, just not possible. He's too perfect. But the, the only thing I would see would be an issue with Kevin Hart is his presence would be so big it would overshadow the movie. So like I said, it would really change a lot. But anyway, and then Marty McFly, get ready for this. Now, I know the internet has also said this choice, but I'm going to tell you right now that I thought of this casting before the internet ever said it. Okay. I can't prove that, but I'm just telling you I did. All right. <laughs> So my choice for Marty McFly is Tom Holland, straight up. If you go back and think about the Spider-Man trilogy that he was in, and instead of thinking he's Peter Parker, think he's Marty McFly as Spider-Man, you've got it right yeah. there. Just put the life preserver yeah. on him, and it is Marty McFly who became Spider-Man. And, and then that sense, You're right. in that sense, Spider-Man is actually Back to the Future, part four, five, and six with literal time travel <laughs> in number six. So I'm not wrong. And that also yeah. then brings me back to Jennifer Parker. If we want to bring the nostalgia from Spider-Man, I think Zendaya could do Jennifer Parker just as well. So that could be <laughs> Anna Taylor-Joy or Zendaya. There you go. Good luck, Graham. I just nailed it. No, you did. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Tom Holland is 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 Marty McFly, he I is. think. He is uh, in reality. Yeah, but so... Uh, I, I don't have a top five. I have a top three because I think that's the only those those are the only roles that that matter in my version. Okay. Uh, of this, I think that's the fair. roles beyond that uh, don't matter as much. But I wanted to go with a uh, different dynamic uh, for the relationship between Marty and uh, Doc Brown. So uh, for Marty, I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm starting with Marty. Um, Marty is played by Michael Sarah. Hmm. Um, oh, and, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, That's so good. <laughs> yeah. So we have, we have a very different uh, kind of, of Marty going on here uh, because Michael Sarah is just Michael Sarah in every movie that he's in. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> Michael Sarah from Hot Ones is just yeah. every, he's just, yeah. he's just all the every characters. characters. He's, yeah. He's all the characters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, Doc Brown is uh, Mel Gibson. Um, huh. So you have a completely different kind of dynamic uh, for this film uh, yeah. that, you know, Marty is a very, you know, typically uh, in, in the original film is very uh, charming, fun, um, extroverted. Uh, and we're switching that with Michael Sarah and, uh, then Mel Gibson is this like grizzled, uh, <laughs> hard uh, scientist that is uh, sort of disgusted so by the Michael Sarah Marty. Do you do you see Mel Gibson and as Doc Brown being kind of akin to like Clint Eastwood and Gran Torino? He just had enough, and uh, yeah, yeah, you know, yes, yes. and uh, he's he's uh, he is. He both has a love for science, but has also just been very hardened by it. Uh, he it's it's messed him up. Mm. Uh, and science um, seems to have that effect on a lot of people today. Yes, it does. That's it does. Uh, but uh, yeah, he's like he's more just disgusted by Michael Sarah's version of Marty. Um, <laughs> that uh, he's sort of pathetic. Um, and he's trying to send him back in time. 
Yeah, he's stuck in this position <laughs> of having to work with him. Um, but uh, the last role that I think matters is Biff. Uh, hmm. And Biff would be played by Rob McElhaney uh, from uh, <laughs> in Philadelphia. <laughs> he's, That's all I'll say. Or, or from... Or from uh, the, the Mystery Quest version of him would be really good in that role, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rob Rob McElhaney is uh, my pick for Biff. Um, and my my whole goal with a, uh, a, re- a remake of Back to the Future would just to be comedy, uh, comedy forward. Um, uh, that it's more about the comedy than it is about the story. The original Back to the Future was, was that you know, uh, it, it's Americana, um, mm-hmm. fantastical American story. Um, and, uh, which is wonderful. That's great. Zemeckis did an awesome job on doing that. But if you do a remake of it, I don't think that that should be the goal is recreating the fantastical Americana story of back to the future. You go with something that's more absurd. All right. Well, there you have it. That's our top five. We just recast Back to the Future three different ways. What do you think? Which one? Which cast is the best? Which movie you would see? Or are there actors we completely missed that we should have included? Let us know in the comments wherever you see this show posted, whether it's the segment or the whole show. As always, thank you for uh, spending time with us here on the Lore Entertainment Podcast. Remember, Lore.tv. Go to Lore.tv. Subscribe to Lore. Become a subscriber. Uh, Fund the movies that Hollywoodn't as we like to say. Uh, Graham Wilson, thank you for being on this episode of the show. We're going to have you back um, pretty soon, I am sure. Jason Farley, thanks for uh, co-hosting the Millennium Falcon here today. Uh, I am Andrew Southwick. We'll see you next time on the Lore Entertainment Podcast. Podcast.